Thank you. Thanks for doing this, Annette, today. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. And before we begin, let me just acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. I live on their Karingai lands, Karingai lands, and they have been uh, looking after the land and water for the last 7,000 years. And I take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional lands where you are standing on right now, wherever you are. So welcome. Um, so please, you could come along to this session about mentoring and why mentoring is so important for our career now. Um, basically, there's so much change going on at the moment and we're in this transition phase. So mentoring really comes to the fore in supporting people around a whole lot of things that the change is that are going on at the moment. And so I thought it'd be a really great idea to get some leading um, health and safety professionals to have a part of, be part of a panel to share their insights in mentoring. Um, so just a little bit about my background. I am a leadership coach, but I also train leaders and mentors to be more coach-like. Um, I'm passionate about this approach called solution focus. And um, you will notice that some of the questions I'm asking the panelists are about being solution focused. So I'll, I'll talk about that a bit later on as well. Um, so let me introduce our wonderful panelists. So let me share my screen. So we have Jeanette O'Brien, who's General Manager of HSEQ at Transport at Service Stream. Uh, then we've also got Louise Howard, who is Executive Director at, in, and in Engineering and Design at Sydney Metro, uh, but has a health and safety background and has and recently, last six months, been in that role. Ben Kirkbride, Head of Health, Safety, Environment and Quality at Gamuda, Australia. And then we have uh, Melissa. Oh, sorry, Melissa, your name was missed off there for some reason. Melissa Pollock, who's General Manager at Health and Safety, Abigeldi Complex Infrastructure. So welcome to these amazing people. Um, before we get into the panel, I'm curious around, um, oh, that's not the question I wanted. I wanted the, let me get here. I want a poll. So I'm curious, the people that are here, do you have a mentor or not? If you could just answer that poll. It's looking like third of you do. Um, so uh, it's looking like 64% says no, don't have a mentors, and 36% said yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the questions of the panel. So first question they're going to be answering is, just giving you a sense of their background and their career roadmap to date and what have been some 
really key turning points in their career along the way. So we said we would go alphabetical. Uh, so that's your up first, Louise. Just a real thumbnail sketch of your background, career to date. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. Uh, one minute or less about my career. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started out as an occupational therapist. Uh, no one in my um, family or immediate circle had gone to university before and was the eldest child. So that's what I wanted to do. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Had a bad experience um, with business um, at school as a subject. So I went away from that, even though that's what I really do love to do. And went into health, which I'm definitely, definitely not um, aligned to. I struggled with empathy as a young person. Um, Annette is laughing because Annette currently coaches me. So she knows in depth uh, what I'm good at and what I'm not. Um, so that has evolved over time. Um, so did a uh, degree in occupational therapy, hated every moment of it, but said, I'm going to finish it. It's my personality in a nutshell. Um, then moved out uh, from workers' comp, injury management claims, like most OTs who don't want to do health, move into something like that. Then uh, a colleague of mine said, do you want to do these Masters of Work, Health and Safety? I said, I really hated university. I don't think I can do it again. I don't even know what health and safety is. It sounds very boring. Um, so we did that, a crash course. We did a master's in 10 months, almost killed me. Um, did that. And then I started to really get a passion because I could see a purpose in that role. And so I, I advocate quite a lot for a career in health and safety rather than just falling into it like most of us do. Um, so moved uh, into high-risk work environments for some large corporates in Australia and then uh, the state government and where I found my love for railways. Um, and uh, that's where I am today on that journey. Uh, I also did a Masters of Business Executive uh, MBA with RMIT. I've really used tertiary education to move quickly and swiftly because I'm not that old. Um, and so I have used that as almost like a golden ticket that says I'll be in a situation for a period of time. I'm a giant sponge, um, my brain, so I can take on a lot of information quickly and kind of synthesize it and educate myself. And then I then supplement that with learning um, through education, um, through university degrees. So three degrees by 30. Um, and now I am leading a team of 150 engineers at Sydney Metro, which I absolutely love. It's highly commercial. It's highly technical. Um, so, yeah, that's me. So, Louise, thank you for that background. I'm curious, you said in the beginning you didn't like health and safety. How did it become your passion? What was the shift? The shift was in high-risk work environments. So health and safety in non-high-risk work environments is boring and it is um, an administration task and it's box tick fixing, uh, ticking in this country. Um, when you're in high-risk work act activities or high-risk work environments, so mining, oil and gas, uh, railways, construction, infrastructure, your job is attributed to a purpose. Um, and that is if we don't do what the legislation is asking us to do and we don't set this business up for success in this space, then people will die, people will be maimed, lives will be destroyed. And I got that insight when I was in workers' compensation and, and claims management, and it is horrific. Um, we do have a good system in this country, but you know we can avoid people entering that system pretty easily. So that was my, my passion. You know, 300 people still die every year in Australia. It's not a huge number, but it's, you know, 300 too many. Yeah. So, so thanks for that, um, Louise. I'd love to come back 
later on around you didn't like tertiary education, but then you managed to do all these degrees. So hold that thought for later. I'll bring come back in there. So Ben, I'm curious about your background, quick thumbnail sketch of your background for people. Thanks, uh, thanks, Annette, uh, and greetings to everyone on the both on the panel and uh, and obviously in the um, in the session today. Um, look, I started my career um, in construction um, 19, so fresh out of school, um, as a as a crane dogman, um, and and sort of had a background in cranes and rigging, and, and came came through that that pathway, um, and then and then peer influenced um, to explore a career in health and safety, um, and that that person then would would soon become. Uh, one of my early mentors, I suppose, uh, early in my career, and and probably prompted me to to further um, explore academic study. Um, so went and got a, done a grad dip um, uh, down in Ballarat, um, and that certainly pushed me outside of my comfort zone early early in my career. I then spent probably ten years of my career in, in one business, uh, many mentors throughout that time, uh, both internal and externally. Um, and, and I think I, I reached a point in my career after 10 years, probably eight of those early on in, in health and safety, um, that is that I, I needed to continue to grow myself professionally. So I uh, ended up following one of my close mentors um, in, in that organisation through to another business um, in, in my next career move. Um, and, and I think I got to a point where I, I kind of wanted to forge my own career, uh, forge my own uh, path professionally instead of following managers uh, from company to company and supporting them. Um, and this was pretty pivotal in my career. I think um, this, this probably highlighted that importance of mentors uh, for me at that point. Um, from, from this point, um, I started to hunt out mentors uh, strategically. Um, some of those worked, some of those didn't work, uh, but all of them were, were certainly a, a, a sort of a key learning outcome, if you like. Um, and, and I think one of, the, one of the key criteria for me uh, and my, probably one of my key takeaways for later is um, I always selected mentors on the basis of, of the skills that I wanted to emulate or improve in. Um, and, and they were the people that I hunted out. Um, and, and I think recognising, I suppose, the importance of mentoring um, at this stage in my career, um, I'm currently supporting the Australian Institute of Health and Safety as a, a member, if you like, of that mentoring committee uh, as a way of giving back to the profession that's, that served me uh, well over the years and, and also to assist others, I suppose, in, in recognising that um, the mentor and mentee relationships uh, professionally are, are so critical. Mm. Thank you, Ben. Um, if you could hold the thought about, you know, I loved how you said that you look, seek out mentors mm. because that's a skill area that you want to develop in. So I'm going to come back to that. Sure. If you could hold that thought, that would be great. Thank you. Um, Jeanette, uh, yes, get my alphabet right. Uh, close, close. <laughs> I beat your mail by one. <laughs> so Jeanette, your background in a nutshell. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Um, look, for me, I guess I've been working in health and safety since about 1990. So I thought I'd give you a date rather than a number of years. Um, I started my life as at university. I did um, a science degree in nursing um, back in the 80s and soon realised that um, I'd go crazy working in the health administration of a hospital and realised I needed something else. So I jumped into the corporate world. I got into um, health and safety as an OCH health nurse, studying in the manufacturing industry. And I guess at the time when we were all studying health and safety back then, it just 
flooded minds kept coming back to me manufacturing industrial revolution I'm thinking how in the hell we're going to change this um, obviously in the last 30 years a lot of manufacturing in Australia has changed fortunately um, but for me it was about getting out and working into high-risk environments similar to what Ben and Louise were saying um, for me I went into for a number of years where I had a young family I built my way up working in um, at the time it was Energy Australia Ausgrid I was there for close on 15 years I went in there to clean up their injury management long tail and jumped across and ended up after 10 years being the head of corporate health and safety at Ausgrid for about five years so I got that kind of um, my hurrah then into working senior management team working very formally with boards and senior managers so I learned to talk very fast um, talk in a snapshot and have my business case really watertight quickly. Um, from then, I um, ventured into the wide world over the last 15 years. And for me, I was really attracted to high-risk industry, particularly around construction. Um, I, I guess reflecting on what Louise was saying there, where we had the opportunity, for me, it's been the opportunity of really putting really tough problem solving and brainstorming to solutions around risk control is where I love to be and working in. I guess, Who's influenced me in this whole process have been a number of people along my journey. Again, direct management, but a bit like Ben, I've reached out to people who have been in senior teams with me in the last um, 20 years particularly, and thinking, I really like what they've got to, I like their capability, I like their skill development, how can I learn from them? So I'm a very much full of curiosity and I really reach out to people and jump on board, no holds barred. So I've learned to be a lot confident and not shy um, as the years have gone on in that, in that space. Um, just going back to my career um, guideline and why I actually got into this space is more about I love science, I love the field of science, and I love people. So I saw working in this field as being a combination of both. I can apply my strong technical knowledge around science and hygiene, and also I can have good relationships and understanding more and more as I've got into my role in my career. Um, the, the, I guess the foundation is having good people skills and really understanding people's behaviour is what re really makes me beaten in my career at this point in time. Awesome. So I would really love you, Jeanette, I'm going to come back to you around the people skills part of it and, and what makes that really important to you. Melissa, last one on the list. So what, how have you got to where you've got to today? What are the key moments? Hi everyone. Um, I, interestingly enough, when I was younger, the first thing I remember wanting to be was a lawyer. So I love that I can do a little bit of a pseudo lawyership in safety, but specifically I wanted to be Matlock, which will totally age and date me for people <laughs> on the court. So I wanted to be an old man lawyer. Um, and I just decided in high school, I found out about this thing called a cadetship, which meant someone was going to pay for me to go to uni and pay for me to work at the same time. So I just decided I wanted one of those and I didn't actually care what it was in. So I had two, one in accountancy and one in HR um, and got the marks to do the HR one. So, so took that. Um, as part of that, that was with Wollongong Council. So um, I was lucky enough to be able to be having a permanent job at the end of the cadetship. I did one safety subject, almost failed it, and I hated the rotation I did in safety. So at the end of that six-year cadetship, when they said, well, your permanent job is over there in the safety team, I was not happy. And I kicked and I screamed and I hated it. And about three months in, I went, oh, this is actually really similar and got all the elements of what I love about people, but this is these different kind of technical areas. 
And when I left council after 10 years, I remember really making a conscious choice because my HR skills were still fresh enough and it was the do I go in HR or to go into safety. Um, and I decided to go into safety and spent um, some years with well, the next role with New South Wales SES. I'll talk a little bit more about later, but that was one of my career defining roles. Um, and then I left there for sort of uh, personal life choice reasons and went into private industry and have worked in a number of, of, of different industries, which is great because I think you get, I think safety is safety. You just then apply it to, a, again, a different area of expertise and, and risk. Um, and now sitting back in construction um, with, with Abigail looking after the whole function, which is um, my dream role. And I think for me, what's probably really interesting is, you know, obviously did an undergrad degree in HR. I then went and did the safety qualifications at TAFE because I had to get those because I was working in a safety role. I then wanna, went off and I've done all these things that, that don't directly relate to safety, like positive psychology, coaching, neuroscience, um, and now coming back into finally doing some university safety level qualifications and, and looking forward to a PhD all in safety in the, in the future. And probably for me, I'm a little bit different to the other three. It was always the people part of safety that still really attracted me to it because we're trying to help people make behavioural changes, uh, whether they were, you know, kind of uh, completely misaligned with forcing procedures down their throat, uh, to say it in a really blunt way, versus trying to, you know, create environments where they are able to, to work safe. And so I really think now is a fantastic time to be in safety as we explore some of those contemporary theories and there's data and research behind those. And I think we're really starting to come together as a profession where we can really help workplaces manage risk well, cut out some of the noise, and actually create workforces that are trusted, engaged, and all that kind of stuff as well. Because mm. your organisation is doing a lot around safety differently, aren't you? Yeah. So thank you. I'm really curious going back to Louise, and I think there's a thread between all four of you around this awareness of when something's not working, you've changed. Yeah, you've really been proactive of going, you know what, that doesn't sit right. I'm going to do something else. Um, back to you, Louise. How did you, that my question for you, can you recall the question for you was around university, like how you hated it, yet you then have gone on to do a number of degrees. What was the pivotal point there to actually? That means to an end is the simple question. It's a means right. to an end. Uh, I could see the value that it provided. Um, and, and, you know, hate is a strong word. I think when you're working full time, which every degree, whether it was my undergrad or my master's, I worked 40 plus hours a week. I did not want to be a poor student. Um, so for me, it was that when I reflect. If I actually was just a full time student, I didn't have any responsibilities or, you know, was happy to you know, was uh, available to have a, uh, you know, um, not a pension, but a, a Centrelink benefit or something like that, then maybe different. But actually, I had strong aspirational goals in finance, personal finance for my first house at 19. Um, so that was a driver. So everything else had to kind of fit in and around that. Um, and, you know, I don't have to tell anyone on the call that studying and then working um, full time is intense. And I worked and studied full time in all of the degrees. Um, because pace is what I was after. And anyone that knows me is I like to do things quickly. 
Um, and so once I start something, I must get to the end as quickly as I can. Um, you know, so that that's kind of um, where, you know, and that's got its pros and cons in itself, but that's kind of the part of what I didn't actually like about university. I actually enjoy learning thoroughly and my brain is, um, you know, kind of organized to be a sponge and I do enjoy it. And I'm at my best when I'm being stretched and learning new things. So by the last degree, I was quite happy because you could actively apply it. I was in a corporate setting. I was reporting to a board. You know, we were doing a, a lot of things in the executive MBA, which were highly applicable. I think sometimes bachelors get a little bit lost in that space because you're not in the workforce. You, you can't readily apply it or you don't, you know, they're theoretical concepts. So mm. um, that's probably um, the main change and the reason why I kind of embraced it more as I got a little bit older. Thank you. And, and being a having a mentor have you did you have a mentor at pivotal points in your career um I, so I wouldn't call them formal mentors I would definitely have you know people of support that were different to me I was always interested in um the difference um in people uh, and how that kind of reflected because I like to do things quite a certain way so it's important for me to have different views and opinions around to kind of keep me in check and keep me balanced. I didn't have a formal mentor until four years ago where I actually had an executive mentor um, for 12 months, um, I'll, you know, kind of pinned to me every fortnight. And, uh, you know, again, they, they are a significant investment by my employer, um, very good employer. Um, yeah, made the investment. So, but definitely always had informal uh, people, both outside of the work environment um, and inside. And the reason why is because the outside people are independent, right? They only really know what you're saying, but actually they know you as a person and can reflect that back. The people inside, and this is just like family, the people inside know all the stuff that's going on in the environment. And sometimes that kind of has its own bias and agenda that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And so you said you didn't have one until four years ago, but the, the internal and external that that happened prior to the four years yeah that's right yeah 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 so I always looked at where would I like to be or what is the view from you know uh people uh that are starting out in their career so always maintaining um touch points and, and some people were younger than me some people were older um you know but I always had probably two to three at one time I would never exceed that um yeah generally and for different reasons was it for yeah always so every every kind of change that I've made has always been strategic and intentional I can't say that I've had a plan of where I would like to be uh you know from when I was 12 to when I'm 45 um but there's definite um ideas or things that I've kind of anchored around mm -hmm. um yeah like I said safety wasn't I don't think anyone's growing up and saying I want to be a health and safety professional that that doesn't happen we're not there yet we will get there at some point <laughs> Um, but we're not there. Where people say, I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I didn't have any of those aspirations, but I'm, you know, strategically, every time I moved or made a decision, it wasn't just go with the flow. It was like, what's the return on investment? How is this going to assist me? Um, what do I need to be successful? Um, it wasn't, I'm not, I'm not good with spontaneity and like, yay, let's just do that. Like, that's, right. that's not me. Maybe you're very out planned. And it's been, yeah. as you said before, it's, the financial driver is strong. There. That's always been the strongest part. Yes. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Ben, for you, in those pivotal points in your career, did you have a mentor? Yeah, and probably informally I had a mentor, um, yeah, probably more internally 
um, for the first part of my, my health and safety career. So we're sort of talking 2006 through to probably 2012. Um, but, but I think it's probably only been kind of more formally probably around the, the, the 2014, yeah, 2014, 2015, um, that I actually recognised that, that an external mentor um, and having, having that, that go-to person formally um, to, to better help career decisions, that, that's when things started to get a bit more sort of strategic and deliberate. Um, and, and that obviously led to um, very strategic, uh, you know, decisions around roles that I, that I took um, from, from that point forward. And the first of those probably being, um, you know, early 2018 or 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I suppose yeah. that I acknowledge that the mentors were, were important. I, I, I love how you, you've been very proactive in that link between what is the skills that I need and who's can support me on that, you know, and who can I learn off. So I'm wondering for you, Jeanette, um, has there been any real mentors at your pivotal times of change in your career? Sure. Yes, I guess when I had um, my big stint of working one organisation for 15 years and and building my way up to the pathway, when I left there, I actually went to a a big global company to work for a few years. Um, I was basically working around around the clock. So I was working a lot across South America and up in Asia. So I had a young family at the time and I nearly burnt myself out for two years because I think I was doing meetings in the middle of the night for about two years or during the day, whether it was Perth, New Zealand or Asia time or back over in South America timeframe. Um, and at that stage, I was lucky enough to do um, a really big, strong course at Edith Cowan University over in WA where I picked up a formal mentor outside of the industry that I'm working in and outside of my vocation. Um, And I had that mentor for three years. And I guess for me at the time, I was still quite young in my career, if you put it that way, even though the time frame was about 15 years ago. But I was really able to take a really good look at myself and understand what my weaknesses were and what my strengths were. And I could really work and really confront myself about where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. And I've always been someone on a driving passion I've never been someone to be able to sit there and turn the page over. I've always had to have a challenge and look at the next opportunity. So I was able to work with that person for a number of years and still to this day um, have that relationship to really develop. And I guess that's where my... I guess my curiosity around people really came to light. Um, You know, working in a role like us, as much as you have to have a strong background technically and, you know, God forbid all the, the dry the dry technicalities we need to have and understand, particularly around jurisdictional requirements and the like, it's working with people on what makes people click. And um, I guess the turning point for me was then working in Asia and dealing, you know, in the third world country, um, going in there with a global company and doing some really big tasks and construction work and then just looking around me at the pre-start each day thinking oh my goodness these people have got no idea about um, you know they just think preserving life is a bonus if you've still got your life by the end of the week you know people rocking up to work with an ice cream bucket on their heads and no shoes on their feet and they couldn't believe that an employer would actually give them a pair of boots and a decent hard hat to wear and that really made me reflect uh, about how important human preservation is so that's what's been my driving passion my pivotal passion ever since then wherever I've gone the politics and the realm that you're working in an organization is all about the person at the other end Mm. that you're dealing with and that may be a direct employee it may be somebody in the supply chain wow 
Okay, thank you. Well, what about for you, Melissa? Has there been a mentor there that supported you through those transitions, those pivotal times? Yeah, look, I think I've pretty much always had a mentor other than the first 10 years of my career. And also at the moment, it's been probably the longest because I'm actually a little bit like what Louise was talking about. For me, I'm trying to seek now a mentor that's not safety. That's sort of executive management, different levels, which is where I want to go. So I'm just trying to find that person. But I, it's probably the story I'd like to share is I didn't realise I had my first mentor until I actually went to officially ask someone to be a mentor. And then I looked back on this beautiful relationship I'd had with someone when I'd started it at New South Wales State Emergency Service. Um, that for me was a really career-defining role. Like I said, I made the choice between HR and safety, but I went into an organisation that was very tiny, uh, small amount of staff, lots amount of volunteers interested in risk profile, but no one had done safety in a paid role before, so it was completely greenfield. So it could have been a make or break role without any internal safety support around. And, and this particular gentleman was very well known in Wollongong and, and sadly he actually passed away about 10 years. We knew each other for about sort of 10 years. But in the time when I was working with him as a consultant, he, we were using for training and some system development stuff, but we would catch up really regularly, which was probably him being the beautiful person that he was. But I, I look back now and realise what a great mentoring relationship that was and what a fantastic mentor he was but like I said it wasn't until I kind of was like oh I feel like I need a formal mentor and went through that awkward moment of of asking someone after a conference that kind of impressed me that I could look back on that relationship with Dave and go that's actually what that was and, and you can imagine in the context of that kind of solo role younger uh, you know, volunteer organisation that is, it's quite hectic, it's busy. We used to say working there for a year is about five years in SES years. So to have that person support you, you know, and, and it was, it was, you know, quite infrequent. We'd catch up like every three or six months kind of thing. But it was so invaluable to just get advice and assistance and someone to listen on how it was going and how you progress it. And then when is the time to actually look to start to, to leave that organisation as well? So that was going to be my, my question, but you've sort of answered it beautifully around, you know, what your experience of mentoring has been. It's been that sounding board and support when you've, um, excuse me, wanting to make decisions of what and what next. I'm curious around others, um, what has been your experience of being mentored? What, what has really had the big impact on you? with any of your mentors that you've had. Um, Louise, for you, what, what has been your experience? You said you had this formal executive mentor as part of it in, in, in your organisation, in that program, but you've had these informal ones. So what has been your experience and what seemed to work for you? Uh, yeah, so I'll reflect on uh, Mark, who was my executive mentor for a year, and uh, we were colleagues on kind of different sides of the fence in construction previously, and he's a CEO in um, large-scale developments and financier, that's his background. Um, absolutely brilliant in terms of the insight and perspective, um, you know, and sometimes it's things you don't want to hear, like I'll be honest, where it's, you know, Louise, you've just got to play the long game here. I'm not a long game player. <laughs> short and short and sharp 
Um, but, you know, reasoning um, models, I'm really interested in different types of models that can be applied to situations. It's kind of, that works for me. But, you know, even when you're just talking to someone who is external to your immediate environment and discipline, which is key, Mark was a CEO, his background is finance, um, it is not health and safety, and I was in health and safety leadership roles, and it was really key that I had someone prior to a large um, change, um, but also new role, that was key. Um, get someone in your court to help you when you are doing a change or you are about to do a new job. I think that that for me has been incredible and it has um, paid dividends significantly for me. The insight in the conversation, all I needed was one light bulb a meeting. So most meetings would go for an hour to 90 minutes. They were generally casual. Um, again, structured. I always have a list. Uh, <laughs> sometimes we get through it. Sometimes we don't. But the insights and the light bulb moments, whether you're hearing them reflect you or you're hearing yourself retell something and then you're like, you know what, I know what that why that happens now. Um, they have been the pivotal times um, for me. The ones outside, not in kind of the executive mentor experience have been, how do I handle a situation? Or you know me really well. And I guess you do need to be quite courageous and brave with a mentor because you're going to hear things that, you know, and so I, I recommend that if you don't want to hear it, don't get them because otherwise it's a waste of your time and a waste of theirs. So, you know, have some thick skin, but have some self-awareness. Um, people that know me well um, provide the best sorts of information because they know how I perceive a situation or how I'm going to react. Mm. And so it'd be really, it's really useful to get their insights when I'm like, you know what, I just keep hitting this wall or actually there's this mess in front of me and I don't know how to navigate it. Um, so I need some assistance. And so that's where that's been really useful, um, people outside, particularly my immediate work environment. So, you know, I love what you said there. You're wanting challenge to be challenged, but also you want the support at the same time. Yeah, yeah. they, they come hand in hand. And I think that's, you know, they're, they're two great words. And if you look at mentoring, that yeah. is what you will get from them if they are both good. Um, but also you are open to it. So you must have a, a for me, it's it's predicated on a good personal relationship. Mm. Um, you must be able to, you know, my test is for lots of things. If I'm walking down the street, am I stopping and chatting with this someone and genuinely interested in their life, whether that's social media, whether that's a mentor, if I'm not, they're out, you know. So, and I've had a couple of people where I just haven't clicked with, either in a formal process or kind of a colleague relationship where I'm like, Actually, it's not working for me. I, I would say in terms of mentors, the more effective ones have been outside of the, the working situation. And the reason why is because people in your work environment bring all of their baggage and all of their stuff. Yes. And sometimes they can't be objective and sometimes they are driving you towards, you know, I have a great boss, but I know sometimes when he's providing me advice, it's useful to him. Mm. I'm like, I need something that's useful to me. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a very good relationship and I say that to him. Uh, but I just know that sometimes there's a lot going on, particularly for some senior execs, CEOs yeah. and chief operating officers, that then they're not always there um, in the position and, and serving you, um, yeah. you know, because they've got a lot going on and, you know, yeah. they've got other things running through their brain and, and they try, but you can see that bias kind of. Yes. Sometimes having that neutral, that neutral objective person that can. Yep. support you and not have nothing to do with the organization thanks louise and ben for you what um in terms of your experience of being mentored what what has worked 
Yeah, so uh, look, I, I, probably um, one of the organisations I'd worked for um, uh, previously, um, I, I received some some quite some critical feedback, um, if you like, on on how I was performing professionally. Um, and I said before that I, I seeked and hunted out a mentor that I thought would emulate um, some of those improvements or make some of those changes to get better at some of that feedback. Um, and, uh, and for those that know me, I, I respond to feedback um, quite quickly and quite well. Um, and, uh, and this particular mentor was not in the health and safety um, function. They, they were a GM in the organization uh, that I was in. And, and one of the things, uh, one of the key experiences was, was exactly that. So this, this mentor, I thought, emulated the opposite of the feedback that I'd, I'd received. Um, so hunted them out, said, this is what I want. Um, was, was very kind of um, specific around the skills that I wanted to improve on. Um, and that, um, you know, could, could I come back and, and formally check in um, with them, you know, every, every, every month or so um, until, you know, that, that kind of relationship, I, I suppose, got to a point where I was, I was deliberately applying that in, in just about, you know, everything that I did. And it, it got to a point um, where that, that mentor, given that they were internally um, in the organisation, had said, the things that you had were saying at the start of, of our mentoring conversation, well, I see you doing those things automatically and live um, in the organisation and the things that you do. And that was that was pretty rewarding for me because I knew that that one there'd been a, there'd been a turnaround of those of that feedback, um, and two um, they were brutally honest in terms of what they were seeing, and 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 it and it didn't need to continue that mentor relationship. It was kind of like I we both got to a point where they kind of said, well, what you came to me for, I can see you doing now. So there's really no no reason unless you want it to continue. Um, and, and it was it, yeah, a very pivotal moment in, in, mm. in sort of what that mentoring relationship does for you mm. and, uh, and and hunting it out and being very specific about what you want to improve on or, or, or whatever. But uh, yeah. I, I, couldn't believe, I, I couldn't agree with Louise more. If you um, are afraid of what you're going to hear, don't waste people's time. Love it. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm curious for you, Jeanette, based on what Ben just said, have you done that where you've gone for a specific person that wanted to develop specific skills with that mentor or have you taken a more broad approach? Both. Um, I, I guess the comment I'd like to make here is um, going back a little bit to what Louise was talking about is if you start a formal mentoring relationship, look, I had one in my previous employer about five years ago. It was an executive member in the team. Um, I started a mentoring program with them um, and I wasn't getting anything from it. So I wasn't going to hang around, um, you know, especially at the stage I am at my career, I'm thinking this is wasting my time and your time. Um, so I think you've got to be really brave and courageous and, and really confront that situation and say, look, Let's just come to an understanding here. We're not getting anything, you know, we're not meeting each other's needs here. Mm. Um, you know, it's nice that you're a colleague, but, you know, move on. So I think you've got to be brave. And um, I mean, mentoring as a whole, you put yourself in a vulnerable position, okay, in a situation. But like Ben said, you've got to look in the mirror and you've got to confront that if you really want to take it on board because you've got to work with people and you've got to be with people. That's what, what work's all about. So, um, I guess that's just a couple of experiences around mentoring. Um, the people that you get a lot from and you develop from and you move on in life with are the ones that naturally you, um, I guess, um, be attracted to and you stay with them. 
mm. at all different stages of your life. Mm. Um, so absolutely, it has to be purposeful at this stage and you can't, time's too precious and there's too many things to do. Um, it's all about things have to be efficient. Yeah. So, uh, you know, two great tips there, being purposeful, but also if it's not working, don't hang in the relationship too long, you know, if there's signs that it's not working. Um, Melissa, for you, what what has been your experience of what's worked with mentors that you've had? Look, I, I, my probably caveat before I answer this question is as a mentor, I've been in informal and formal mentoring programs or I've been formally matched with someone that's got a finite period of time or someone's approached me to be a mentor. Me being a mentee, I have always done that informally and very organically. Um, and so I think for me that there's two things that stand out in terms of that experience and being mentored. I think there is absolutely this feeling of support during that relationship when it, as everyone else talked about, like if it's the right person and it's working and, you, and you're not feeling like it's a chore and you're just catching up for the sake of catching up, it will feel right and you will feel supported and wrapped in whatever care you need mm -hmm. at that period in time. But for me, I think there's also a real, again, because mine have been organic there's a point where you realise they change and the, and the dynamic shifts from the mentoring to the colleague relationship. And I think there's a real strength and beauty almost in that. Mm. Um, and then most of those people, and in fact, probably all of them, I've then, I have still relationship with relationships with as colleagues. Um, and on the flip side of that, I've seen that happen through the AIHS. AIHS mentoring program where I was a mentor I've had a mentee we did the six months worth it was probably about three years ago and we still catch up every fortnight for 30 minutes but it's much more a colleague we both share ideas um, you know she's based in New Zealand I met her when I went over there and, and we don't talk about it being a mentoring thing anymore because it's not and it's still going I think because I was kind of listening to everyone else because we still both like doing it um, and interestingly, when we did catch up yesterday, I was very distracted. I had a lot going on. And I said that at the beginning of the call and she kind of said, do you want to still do this? I said, yes, please. Because actually for me, I will get out of this call centering passion, enthusiasm, because, it, you know, I, I absolutely love doing them. So I think for me, you know, that's support and there's a strength in them when you get out of those, those mentoring relationships, what you need out of them as well. Exactly. And you just reminded me of a mentor who was a colleague to start with, but then over the years we've, since we're now in different places in our career, we can reach out to each, for each other's purposes, going, I need help with this right now, you know, and they'll be just a phone call away. Yeah. So I want to open it up to the rest of the people on the call questions do you have for the panel or anyone specifically or broadly for the panel um, if you could just put your hand up rather than use your reaction key do you have a question of course in recruitment where we're often we're talking to everyone all the time we get people at different various levels of their career where uh, we, we, we're only a, a messenger, so we're not, we don't help, or, but we guide and influence where we can. I guess for the panel, how do, how do you help people realise they might be at a point where they would benefit from a mentor? 
without then maybe quite self-realizing it. Because I, I feel like it's a, might, I don't like to be invasive, but if we can be suggestive, but uh, you know, it can be a forced situation sometimes where you can see that they probably benefit from it, but they might not kind of realize that they're at that point that they need it. So okay. what, what advice or guidance, you know, I guess for anyone, do you think that, you know, give them a little friendly shove in the right direction without being too aggressive? Uh, I, I, I might start right. to probably give you a few ideas, Steve, about how you might do that. And I think it comes from the basis that um, I, I, I kind of know you guys at the Safe Step pretty well. And, and, and I think you guys have got a pretty good understanding of, of the health and safety professions uh, professionals, I, I suppose, in the profession. Um, but that what I suggested before in terms of how I found a mentor, I mean, if you know that there's a skill or something that, that you know, someone can improve on uh, based on your understanding of the professionals in the industry, um, perhaps, perhaps, you know, suggesting that they should connect with so-and-so on a particular thing um, and, and sort of, you know, it, it sort of prompts them to take a step in that direction um, without actually forcing them and and, and you, you know the dynamic of the people in the profession um, and we're all you know always willing to or most of us or are, are willing to support others in the profession grow so um, perhaps that could be a place to start mate yeah and I might add to that too Steve um, I mean you're within your realm to actually direct people back to the AIHS as well you know, to say this is the opportunity, you know, amongst your profession, it's your professional association, and you know enough of us to reach people back and put people in touch. But, you know, I think any opportunity, even from where you're sitting in the world of organisations, is to say, go back to your professional association to support you. And that's what the AIHS is all about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I might jump in here too, you know, sometimes when we see an individual struggling with a certain thing sometimes that can be a theme for many others and that's where those formal um, programs like uh, um, AIHS and also NAWIC Women in Construction Mentoring Program um, you know how do we help support diversity how do we support inclusion and those formal programs can really help with those generic type across industry type issues yeah can yeah. um, i just sorry add quickly i think um and i'm not hopefully this adds some more stuff for you guys there but i think i will always share stories so i'll always start with a soft approach which has been a bit vulnerable sharing where i've had a mentor where it's worked for me when i've used it if it's more of a someone on my team kind of thing then i will actually kind of a bit more actively say like i think it would be really good to help you find a mentor that's not me as your supervisor and i explain a little bit of that stuff that louise spoke about you know again you're not invested it's it's outside of the organization um and i think you know again without going into the technicality of there's a difference between mentoring and coaching um but for instance with my team at the moment they're going through a lot of flux and a lot of change so we've actually we're providing them with professional coaching the coach also happens to have a safety background right so there would be absolute elements of where that is being able to give them some safety advice and and that's one where there was a choice as in you can opt in and out but it was was put in place for everyone and they've all actually taken it up I guess part of it is all clocking what Louise said um, earlier that you know you don't gel with everyone I, I have and I can't 
recall, but I've had conversations previously where they've said, you know, I've tried to have a mentor three or four times and it's never worked. And I think there's a lot of lonely safety people out there where they're the sole safety person and they, they can get it, end up being a bit lost because they've had a few bad experiences. And as, as, as again, what Louise was saying, you, know, you just feel like a time wasting. And I think a little, some people get a little bit disheartened about that. And you know, I kind of feel sorry for them and you want to guide them and say, well, you know, keep going. Because I think it's about, you've got to land on the right person. And sometimes we've got to have a few lemons to get the right um, sweet spot as well. So, okay. So keep persevering would be the advice and keep looking for maybe outside of, out of their realm a little bit as well. Okay. I think Steve is that is that is around personal connection. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you feel immediately you can, you trust that person or, um, you know, you have got some insight or, or quickly you can establish, um, Hey, this is enjoyable. Like yeah. you should be able to work that out. Everyone has conversations. We have hundreds a week, most of us. Within 60 minutes, you know, again, we don't want to be quick to judge, but within 60 minutes, we generally know, are we going to get something out of this? And is this as good for me? Or is this a waste of my time? Yeah. Um, I think people need to be quite decisive and not afraid that just because they might be wanting to approach that um, or look at existing personal relationships that could meet that need. Yeah. And, and change one of those relationships. They might be actually in front of them. And Melissa's story was quite um, uh, pertinent in that space around actually she didn't know what was going on at the time, but then on reflection was like, you know what, this person has been pivotal. Um, but there might not ever be in a conversation that says, hey, will you be my mentor? Or, hey, I'm looking for this. Um, yeah. It just kind of organically happens. So, you know, some people don't know what they've got um, that might be right in front of them either. Yeah. And I was actually just going to add, and finally, to, to almost flip my story, Louise, but I think since then being part of a formal mentoring program, I do actually realise that there is a skill set and some training required to be a good mentor. So I think I've been lucky in some of the organic relationships that I've had. And, Steve, that's what I wonder, perhaps, with some of these people. They might have picked who they thought was going to be the right person, but actually perhaps the mentor hasn't had the right skill set to, to and you know so unfortunately they're not getting a great experience from that and you know even sitting through the um so going through the the latest cohort with AIHS as a mentor and just sitting I had to watch the recording of the session I was kind of like okay there's a few things over the last couple of cohorts that I probably haven't been doing well as a mentor and I need to hold myself to account and change those behaviours as well. So I think that is part of the challenge is that it is definitely our skill set. Some people naturally will have it, the organic relationships work, and for other people, they actually just cannot be necessarily a good mentor or for that person at the time. I might, I might come in here. I, I totally agree with you, Melissa. I'm seeing... Um, and I'm involved in developing mentors because some people have thought mentoring is just downloading their all their wisdom to their mentee when in fact, you know, they're not checking out what the person knows already. So that skilling up of mentors seems to be more of a trend now and a lot more organisations in their formal programs are skilling the mentors up. Um, so what I want to do now, just before we end, I'm going to pop everyone into a breakout room with one panellist in each breakout. Um, and the questions I want you to think about is, 
what sparked your interest and what might you do next or take back into your organisation from what you've heard today? Yeah, what sparked your interest and what might you take back into your organisations and any other questions you have of the panellists. So I'm just going to pop you in. We'll probably have a three-minute-odd breakout before we fully wrap up. So if you could head over into the breakout rooms, please. Well, we are right on time. So um, what I'd like you to do, the people that uh, have been listening in, I'd like you to, what, what have you been impressed with from our panellists? What stood out to you, if we can have some comments from panellists? That's not panellists, from others, the audience. What, what stood out for you? John, you look like you're about to unmute yourself. Um, well, it wasn't really. I was just, I was just having a bit of a mess, to be honest. Oh, okay. So, anything impressed you, given you've you've unmuted what? You've uh, no, not really. I was like in my in my breakout room. I was probably looking for something a little bit different to what what came out of this session. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I'm happy to uh, stay on longer if you want to um, chat about that after we finish. We just had a brief discussion, Annette, because it was very brief around. Um, just falling in and out of love with the profession um, and kind of knowing when you've kind of hit the wall and and even in some great jobs, you know, yeah, you, and recognising that. But I, do, I would say this profession has incredible transferable skills. Um, so that is, you know, you, you don't just get to the end of the line and go, oh, well, I've, I've only got this. You know, sometimes it feels like that when you're in it, but actually... Um, you're highly desirable because, you know, compliance base, people engagement, leadership, um, you know, legislative obligations, you know, these are highly sought after skills, risk management, like risk, if I'm going to pull anything out of health and safety, risk, finance, audit and assurance, like risk is key to corporate Australia and how they effectively manage their businesses. Okay. So those are the things. Stop talking about safety and start talking about risk if you want to get out of it. Um, because that's your your leverage point. So, yeah, similar to Annette, if anybody wants to have a chat around that, um, I'm more than happy to dedicate time. So, yeah. Awesome. I um, think the other really quick takeaway to Annette is don't let age be a barrier. Don't think people are older in age have got more experience in the world because I've got to say, I learned from a lot of people <laughs> when you stop, who are much younger, right? So it's it's all about what's that skill set and capability. Okay, you can learn from people from all walks of life, experience and age. So thank you so much, um, panellists, for your wisdom that you shared today. And thank you, everyone else, for coming um, along. Um, it's been great conversation. Thank you. And John, stay on if you've got further questions. I can um, help solve them for you. So thanks, everyone. And thanks, Sarah, for the opportunity. Thanks, Annette. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have a day. Bye. See Bye. You. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm live yet. Um, yeah, what I was uh, what I was saying.